Before we hop into today's episode of the podcast, I want to tell you guys about someone I've been partnering with over the past few months. The name of the company is 2 Before, and if you guys are looking to take your training to the next level, 2 Before is the right product for you. 2 Before is blackcurrant powder, and blackcurrants are antioxidant berries grown in New Zealand. Studies have shown that consuming them regularly improves endurance by increasing blood flow and removing lactic acid. It's used by professional running team 10 Man Elite, as well as teams in the NFL, NBA, and the NCAA. There was one study that showed that using two before consistently can improve your athletic performance by 4.6%. And so as I look to close out this fall on a high note with my training, as well as get in some really quality training this winter, two before is going to become a staple pre-run, pre-workout. I absolutely love this stuff. I've worked with two before for a long time. For this reason, it's become a staple in my daily training and life routine. Because of that, you guys can get 30% off at two before with code the running effect 30. Not only does this get you guys 30% off, but also free shipping. And I've left a link in the show notes. Again, highly recommend this product. And I definitely recommend at least trying it out once and seeing if it works for you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Running Effect Podcast with Dominic Schleter. I'm your host, Dominic, and I'm very excited you've clicked on today's episode. I have the privilege of speaking with Paul Stafford. Paul currently runs for the University of Colorado, where he has been an absolute stud this past year. He's progressed a lot as an athlete. Formerly, he ran for Florida State University, and through his experiences in the sport, he started running in fourth grade. He's really developed a love and passion for coaching, and a lot of our conversation today covers his passion for coaching. I pick his brain on a bunch of subjects like double threshold to the things every single athlete should be doing to progress in their training and racing. Today's conversation was a lot of fun and I hope you enjoyed as much as I did having it. So without further ado, I hope you all enjoy my conversation with the man, the myth, the legend, Paul Stafford. Paul Stafford, welcome to the Running Effect podcast. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing great, Tom. Thanks for having me on, man. First question for you, right off the bat, it's a Monday that we're recording this. Over the weekend, a lot of fast performances, but specifically as a guy who's right out of college, I got to get your take on Nico Young running 12.57, first collegiate to break 13 minutes in the 5K collegiate record. Shattered the internet a little bit, I think. Thoughts on it? Yeah, maybe just a little bit, you know. It was was everywhere for sure. Uh, In terms of that performance, man, when I saw the workout and – I, I forget the specific the specifics of the workout, but whenever I saw it on social media and, you know, the camera pans off to Mike Smith and he's like, uh, like usually we try to maintain our emotions here um, and not get too excited about things, but that was special. I just thought to myself, I was like, man, if that's if that's getting like Mike Smith outside of his emotional boundaries that he's trying to set, then wow, like something special is about to happen at BU. So I predicted like 1303 at the slowest and sure enough, man, 1257. Wow. Fantastic. Yeah. I'm forgetting the exact specifics, but I remember, I think there were three or four parts to it. If there's a fourth, I'm forgetting the fourth part, but I remember at altitude indoor track, 7,000 feet, he went 517 for a 2k and then did four by four in like 60, 60, 59, 58, something like that. And then he closed in a 155, 800. And it's like, geez. And then you have that data point with him running a mile. What did he run? Like, was it 357? It was, so, yeah, 357, which I think the conversion with flat track and altitude, number four all time, maybe. Yeah. So that's just un, unreal. And man, it's, it's going to be a special season of competition in the NCAA for sure. Yeah, when I saw those two points of data, I was like, 
he's in for something special. And I think my one prediction, I tasted a friend because I sent the friend the workout. I was like, watch this. Uh, and I was like, I think, <laughs> I think he's going to break 13. I know Nico a little bit. I know how he carries himself. And uh, I knew something special was going to happen. I'm curious, as someone who's getting into you know coaching, it's a massive passion of yours. NAU has kind of popularized double threshold. Nico does it. Um, keeping Nico the focus of this conversation, I guess. What are your thoughts on uh, double threshold? And, you know, obviously it works for some people, other people it breaks them. Clearly worked for Nico this past weekend. What are your thoughts on it? For sure. No, that's a great question because I just want to highlight something that like my coach personally at CU says, first of all, I think it's the foundation of like coaching, at least in my coaching, I plan on taking that with me for a very long time. And so that statement is every athlete is a puzzle and they should be treated as such. There's different pieces. They have different strengths, weaknesses, histories. All of these factors add up together to create that puzzle. And when the coach puts it together, they perform well. So how does that relate to double threshold? Well, you just have to think, you know, these are collegiate athletes that um, they've, they've been developed under Mike Smith's system. And he, a coach of his level definitely has like a four to five year plan for these athletes. They come in a certain way and he thinks, by the time that they're done, they should be at a certain um, position. Now, for double threshold, I'm kind of a big fan of when it comes to workouts of saying that there is no magic bullet and that there's no one workout that can really make or break you or make you faster. But if we want to think physiology and things like that, then we can certainly look to that. One of my favorite guys to study um, in my free time is Inigo San Milan, and he researches the mitochondria a lot. And so how that applies to double threshold is that when you look at how mitochondria respond to training, it's by duration and frequency. And so when we do these long threshold sessions, that's um, getting mitochondria to respond through longer duration, um, you know, not like super fast quality, but like controllable stuff. The double threshold is really cool because it gets mitochondria to respond to frequency, which is something that we can really often like mislook because, you know, a lot of times we're designing workouts that are so hard that we couldn't even dare do something in another day. Uh, so when you look at it from a physiology perspective, it's really cool to like see that design and how well it's working for a lot of people. And then obviously the precision of lactate meters really helps us control it and make sure that we don't overdo it as well. So man, it's just such a cool concept. What are your thoughts on comparison in relation to training specifically from a coaching perspective five years ago i think nau was the only team doing double thresholds now we look towards today where more and more programs have had success with it i feel like every week like i'm not even joking here every week i hear of another d1 ncaa program implementing double threshold into their training do you think this is healthy that teams are doing this or unhealthy you know co copying one another not in a bad way but just like you no know, absolutely doing this. yeah absolutely well i think i think when whenever a new workout comes out and i actually pull this I pull this from Steve Magnus, who is like another like guy that just knows like so much in terms of a training. I think when a new workout comes out, you know, there's definitely a little bit of a hype train factor. Um, and that's usually because it's different from a lot of the things that we've been doing in the past. But if you pull the knowledge of history out of your toolbox, then you can learn that, you know, we've done it before in some type of capacity. And so if you understand the history, then you can evaluate it for yourself before implementing it and think, okay, we, we were doing that during this age and did it work well? Well, maybe, it, maybe it worked okay, but you know, 
it's it may not be like the the cure-all magic bullet that people hype it up to be so i, I just think that's a really important piece um in that and then there's also a lot of collegiate programs that get it wrong i think i think i don't know if you've seen uh, the workouts that they'll implement um for their variation of double t but uh a lot of people can do it wrong for sure. And that causes more harm than good. So you really got to like tread lightly, you know, don't get too overhyped. Paul, I try to ask questions without underlying bias. Uh, that's a big thing that I should try to implement. This question I am asking sure. with underlying bias because uh, a high school friend of mine, I think it was going into cross country season and he did a double workout and I'm like, no high schooler should be doing a double workout. Um, it wasn't even like a double threshold. It was like threshold in the morning and then like very fast reps in the afternoon. So like even more stress in my opinion, I'm like, I don't think any high schooler of any level should be doing double workouts. Agree with me, disagree with me. And if you disagree, why? You know, I think, well, once again, we'll go back to the puzzle analogy for sure, because there are some very rare cases where, an athlete has been developed over the course of years to the point that maybe they're a senior and they're trying to run like, I don't know, 840, 845, something like that. And maybe they could handle it and have it be productive. But I think for the vast like majority of cases, there's a lot of avenues that you can drive down before you drive down that one. So I, I like to think of high schoolers as adaptation friendly when it comes to giving them training. There's a lot of things you can give them um, and they'll respond and very, they'll respond very well because, uh, they haven't been given a lot. Right. Uh, so I'd, I'd err on the side of caution and just think about their long-term development. That was the one thing I was going to say. I think tons of high schoolers could handle it. You know, you take the 40 boys, 40 girls from Foot Locker who qualified this year. I think many of them could handle it, could improve yeah, from absolutely. it, but it's a question of, is it's what, is this what's best for their long-term development and growth? And in my opinion, right. I feel like doing that much work early on. I mean, even like a, a friend of mine, Connor Burns, who you competed against this past year was doing insane sure. stuff in high school. Like he did a 10 mile tempo at like 455 average. And I'm like, I'm not going to tell Connor Burns how to train, but that's like, that's like college guys struggle to do that. Like you don't need to be doing that, bro. <laughs> like just save it for yeah, college essentially. <laughs> that is absolutely unreal. And I don't know the conditions of that session or not. I don't know if you know the specifics maybe, but if I just imagine like ideal, like prime weather, flat bike path, alpha flies, vapor flies, whatever, um, super shoe you want, you're, you're caffeined up, you know, I just, I just can't imagine that being, um, if the intention is threshold, I can't imagine that being no, actually threshold. No. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So as this discussion goes on, I'm curious in, in line with it, like how much do you think high schoolers should be really intently trying to get the most out of themselves versus trying to have a long-term perspective on the sport? And what's the middle ground? I'm kind of asking you a few questions here. What's the middle ground between yeah, for that sure. for someone like me, even who I knew if I didn't pour everything into the sport, I wouldn't even have the chance to go D1. So for me, it made right. more sense to take a risk to be more extreme in training, if that makes sense, right. versus the freak of right. nature that can get by doing 30 miles a week. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, I mean, that's a great question. Um, I'm going to backtrack to physiology here because I think this is a, like a good answer. Um, so when I look at the work of Inigo Sambalon, and for those of you that don't know, uh, he works with Tade Pogacar, which is uh, one of the top people in the Tour de France. Uh, I think he was the winner of the Young Rider. I want to say he was the king of the mountains in the Tour. Uh, don't quote me on that, but one of the best cyclists in the world. And when Sam Milan talks about the mitochondria, he always talks about how development of the mitochondria 
is over the course of months and years. This is not a weeks and months thing. This is a months and years thing. And so when it look when it comes to how high schoolers train, you really just got to think of it. Of, you really have to think of it like compounding interest. Um, Steve Magnus said once that aerobic training is like compounding interest. And, you know, it's not a get rich quick scheme like a lot of anaerobic training is where it's like five to six weeks of hitting it hard and then you level off and then you dip down. It's just not like that. You want to be making those investments and those investments are going to pay off over time. And usually that is just safe aerobic training um, that's not really pounding the legs too hard either. Because when you do a lot of anaerobic stuff, you're like risking injury, especially with how much high schoolers race. I didn't even mention that. So, What are some of the non-negotiables that every runner, high school, college, pro, 60-year-old guy trying to PR in the marathon should be doing to get the most out of themselves in training? Well, you know, whenever high schoolers and like just people reach out to me about running in general and they're like, you know, what is like your best piece of advice? And I think I think the answer across the board for like a lot of people that were in the NCA will all say the same thing. Honestly, it's consistency for sure. Um, you need to be going like six to seven days a week if you are able to. Now, there are situations where you can't train six to seven times a week. And so you have to uh, back it off, mix cross training in, uh, use use some of those art forms that are becoming really popular uh, with the cross training and running mixture that's uh, becoming, I don't know, trendy because Park, Parker Valby made it trendy. Um, but yeah, as, as a coach, you just really need to um, be able to have that in your tool, toolbox for sure. Just consistency, man. You've mentioned uh, the name of that one coach. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name, but you've also in your own personal life had incredible influences. I think Bob Brayman, is that how you say his last name? Yeah, yeah, okay. Bob Brayman. Yeah, he was coach at Florida State, which we'll get into your years there. And then most recently, Mark Wetmore, who I'm sure many of our listeners know who that is at the University of Colorado. How much have they influenced your coaching and also you even deciding to get into coaching in the first place? No, absolutely. I mean... I'm picking their brain every day at practice, man. You know, I'm asking coach Brayman during my uh, undergrad years at FSU, like coach, like how does, how does this session help us? Um, you know, like what are, what are we doing this for? And then when I talk to Mark, then I'm, I'm also asking him the same things. And it's, you know, just all those years of like picking their brain. And it's always been an interest of mine uh, has allowed me to gain a vast amount of knowledge. Just one question a day goes like a long way. And some days they're they're like, I don't want to hear it. But um, other days, uh, I, I, I still ask them regardless, man. Um, they play a massive role in it. And I've also had a number of great assistant coaches as well that, uh, you know, a lot of the assistant coaches at FSU ran with the athletes because they were young. Um, and yeah, that's that's really cool to be able to learn from their own experiences as well. So coaches are by far the biggest inspiration in my entire life. What's your go-to favorite subject to pick a coach's brain on? Well, so it, it really, it really depends on the time of like things, because what I found is that a lot of time during early training periods where, you know, um, it's more general, uh, I find that I'm asking them more about physiology because like a lot of time that's like just energy system work that we're doing. But then when it starts to get closer to the season and the workouts, you know, it's maybe not as much a physiology focus as it is a race specific focus. Then I'm, then I'm getting their thought process on, okay, why are we doing this rest? And why are we 
why are we making it this exact speed and why are we alternating between these paces you know you know just questions that really dig into workout design um which i think is just like such an underrated piece there's so many variables you can change you know the rest the intensity uh the length of it in general uh, so yeah just really interesting overall a book that I highly recommend for anyone who's even remotely interested in running, training, or coaching is Running with the Buffaloes, which I'm sure you're sick of talking about uh, from you guys at the <laughs> University of Colorado. But when was the first time you read that book? I'm sure you've read it. And what are your thoughts on just being able to be coached by Mark Wetmore in 2023 and be able to read about how he coached his athletes every single day, literally in 1998, if I'm not mistaken, sometime around then? So good, man. I mean... So this is actually crazy because when I when I knew that like my time at FSU was like kind of closing and I still had the eligibility that I wanted to use, uh, you know, I went in the transfer portal and I didn't end up committing uh, to CU until April, but I was reading the book like the entire spring. <laughs> so uh, it had always been a big dream of mine and I never got around to the book and, you know, like it, it kind of timed up perfectly. I finished the book right as I was about to commit. How much does Mark that time period match up with Mark 2023? Massive difference or same person? Man, that is really hard to tell. Mark Mark is a really interesting guy to try and read. Um, but man, whenever he talks, he, he's the quietest guy in the room all the time. Whenever he talks, everyone perks up their ears, ears and listens. Um, you know, he, he gives out so many like little just pieces that are such great takeaways. Uh, he's, he's a nugget gold mine for sure. We've been talking about coaching. So recently you graduated from the University of Colorado. Is that correct? So I'm in my last semester. Okay, last CU semester. And yeah, and so this will be my last semester of eligibility. Okay. And um, then I graduated from FSU um, in the fall of 2022. Okay. So. I wasn't sure some people graduate in the winter after the fall period. So one more season of eligibility. I was also assuming that because most people – don't start a coaching business while they're in school. Take me through the decision to start your coaching business. And I guess what it's been like to balance that with running and school at the same time. Absolutely. I mean, with all this coaching that we're talking about, you can already tell that I spend a lot of my free time uh, studying, training, and uh, I already work with some athletes as well on, on the side while I'm in school. So it's been really cool. But really, it just comes down to this is what I want to do. This is not... Uh, this is not just like a, a side thing. This is like what I'm all in on. You know, I'm I'm not planning on going corporate and working for the man. I want to be a coach. And so when I had this vision of uh, being being a coach, essentially, it just came down to okay, like what do what do I value? Um, what makes athletes tick? You know, what what causes them to perform at their best? And I kind of took those values designed a website with the help of one of my teammates who's big in tech. Um, and then I brought on two guys that really think share a passion for the sport with me who are also NCAA runners in their own right. Um, and yeah, I, I want to use my social media as well to really like push this out and just bring training that is more uh, precise and modern and um, just a lot more controlled to the general population because I feel like um, we're in a massive transition period where um, the old like methods, they're all being pushed out. Like, and we can literally see it, you know, there's so many um, 
young coaches that are coming onto the scene and really like changing the way that we do things. So it's a, it's an exciting time to be a coach for sure. When you say, you know, old coaches, old concepts, can you put some words to the differences between new coaches, new concepts versus old coaches, old concepts? And I'm also curious, how does someone like Mark fit into that where he's, I would definitely call him an old coach, you know, he's been in the business so long, but he's so good in 2024, right? He's, he's still hanging in there. No, absolutely. No, that's, no, that's a great question. One thing I'll say about Mark is that he's, he's stayed producing good teams over the course of all these years, just because whenever things don't go right, he makes a big change. He goes back to his roots and he's like, okay, like asking all the right questions. Did this play a big role in us being successful? Okay, let's keep that. Did this play a big role in us not being successful? Let's get rid of that. Um, and he really is just a great evaluator um, of his program. So um, whenever I think about the 1990s, and this is a big history piece, the 1990s was a big era of, we'll call it rock and roll running. I heard that from somebody. Um, it's it's a big, sexy interval workout, uh, just phase where we were running fast, like super fast mile repeats, super fast 800s with really long rest. And the idea behind it physiologically was the idea that we wanted to increase our VO2 max. And we really use that a lot as a marker to determine how good we can actually be. But if you look at studies where they look at Olympic finalists and Olympic medalists and take all of their VO2 maxes and line them up in a chart, if you're above like 63 and you can be as high as 83, you are capable of winning an Olympic medal from, from using that marker alone. So now we look in the current day in 2024 and we realize that lactate's probably a better um, marker in terms of, uh, you know, keeping sessions precise and making sure we're um, running at the right effort because VO2 stuff, um, you can really only improve your VO2 score by maybe one or two points in the span of an entire training block. So why would we spend an entire training block just grinding away and risking injury with these inten intense sessions um, focusing on that? It just, it's definitely been a shift from the 90s to now. A listener hears what you say. They're like, that makes sense. He's got facts behind what he said. How do I implement it into my training? That's a question the listener asks. How would you respond? How do you implement that into 2024 winter spring training for an athlete to get faster? Great question. Because if you can have all of the physiological concepts in your head, but not be able to apply them, then it's worthless. So I'll go back to Inigo San Milan again. He has developed talk zones that he uses with his cyclists. Now, the difference between cycling and running is that we have to keep our structure intact. And that's something that Mark says as, as well because those talk zones are great for gauging effort, but if we break doing it, then it's no use. A lot of times these cyclists can sit in the saddle for five to six hours. I think I think I read somewhere that Tade Pogacar spends a lot of time in like early periods of training throughout the year, 70 to 80% of his training is riding in what's called zone two. Now, I don't want this to be mixed in with all the garbage that you see from like the, the BQ influencers on Instagram <laughs> and all that that you see. But when you apply this to running in zone two, it is really important to um, just realize that that is not the only means of getting better. 
but there are times of years when you implement that and it really helps you um, make those compounding uh, interest investments, I guess you could say. So, I feel like you probably know numerous ways that you can get better as an athlete. For you as a new coach, what are some ways you figured out that have gotten you better as a coach? I think, so I'll add a little bit more onto this application. When it comes to these talk zones, um, you can apply the you can apply the concepts by explaining to the athlete very well what it feels like and just emphasizing to them that the point of the workout is really just to nail what I call cues with my athletes. I'm, I just say follow the cues to the best of your ability, and then they end up they end up doing it perfect. So uh, it, it's a long email that I'm sending to them with the cues to uh, describe like how to execute the workout properly. But when they do it, it is the most satisfying thing ever. Uh, real quick, I'll just, I'll give the cue for zone two. Imagine you're at a dining hall and you're having a conversation. That is zone one. Now zone two, imagine that you're on the stationary bike or you're running with someone and you're having a conversation with them. The person that you're on the phone with, uh, you shouldn't be able to hide it from them. The fact that you're exercising. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, so it's a really applicable cue that helps people find the appropriate zone, um, and I think it I think it goes a long way when you can really um, push that out to the athlete. What is your big dream within coaching? Is it taking over NCAA Division One program? Is it high school? Is it professional? What's the big Paul Stafford dream? You know, I would love for this to be the biggest coaching firm in the country. Truthfully, um, I think that. You know, there is going to be a day when I coach a high school and there is going to be a day when I coach a, a collegiate program. But that'll really be when when I'm I'm in my like my 40s or 50s and I, you know, I'm a parent and um, and I'm more like settled down in one location. But uh, right now, you know, running something that I really love to do and coaching is something that I really love to do. And I think that it really works out perfect if I can build something that allows me to coach in my free time and, you know, make, make a livelihood and also be able to continue my own running. Just a little side piece. My mom's Puerto Rican. Um, and one day it would be so cool to represent them on the world stage. So that's kind of why I want to continue my own running, especially because Mark Wetmore's opened my eyes up a ton about how good I could be. When did you first fall in love with the sport of running? <laughs> so, uh, I mean, this question's awesome for Ed literally any guests, you know, I was, I was in the fourth grade and my dad was my PE coach. So another big inspiration of mine, my dad being my coach, he, um, he essentially just asked me if I wanted to sign up for track and sure enough, I mean, I, I was like, yeah, let's do it. And we train a little bit and we go to this meet and I run the 1500 and I run 553.24. And I was like, uh, I remember the decimal of it too, man. <laughs> I was in the fourth grade and uh, I won the race, and man, it's it's been great ever since. And I've learned so much from all the coaches that have inspired me. So, I think a lot of people say success is addicting. If do you think if you came in last place in that race you just mentioned, you think you would have continued? That's a really good question. I don't know. I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. I guess that would have been a test for fourth grade me. <laughs> like, do I really have that dog in me? You know what I mean? <laughs> like. Would I be like, all right, I got to train harder. And I'm like eight or nine years old. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. How much of the following years, you know, leading into high school and even beyond, do you think has been 
as a result of you being really good at the sport versus you really enjoying the sport. I think that's an interesting discussion to ask high-level runners because I think sometimes it's one or the other. Very clearly, a lot of times it's in the middle. You know, I think I think early on, a lot of it really was, you know, I was good at it. And I did other sports as well. I played football. I played basketball, which, by the way, I think is like really important for your long-term development in any sport. You know, when you're young, do a lot of things, uh, stimulate a lot of different movements. But whenever I got older and I got to high school, uh, you know, I had a period where I was shifting to like a really like more, um, more specific type of training rather than, um, you know, just jogging like two miles a day, like some, some cross country teams do. Um, and then I would say when I really got to high school, it changed because the friends that I was with played a bigger role in me enjoying it, even though the training got harder. And then whenever I got to college, I, I absolutely like love my teams at FSU and Colorado. And so I think those aspects, whenever the training gets harder, I think the camaraderie needs to increase as well simultaneously, because uh, without that, and then the hard training, then, you know, like it's going to be harder to stick around. So, you know, Florida state, take me through those years there and how fundamental they were for you as an athlete. Yeah. So I mean, at FSU, I came in and I was a 905 two miler. I was a, I was a 412 miler. These were, these are back in the dead spike days, by the way. So I, I feel now I'm feeling old saying that because a lot of people have that. But anyways, um, man, the FSU days, I, I had such great groups every year and, you know, everyone brought something new to the table, like the new freshmen coming in, the, the old, old teams leaving. And man, I can just, I can tell so many stories from those days. I'll I'll tell one. So it was my freshman year and we were going on a cold streak from not making nationals and cross. And we get to regionals and we have to auto. This is like a do or die. You have to get top two in the South region. And it's, it's us in Tennessee are kind of the Ole Miss is going to run away with it. That's the, um, the lowdown. So before the race, it's the night before everyone's kind of got a little bit of nerves post dinner and coach Brayman, he's standing up in front of us and he, he's finishing up this speech and he's like, and look, you, you got to earn it. You know, I didn't buy those plane tickets. You got to make me buy them. And the room's just kind of quiet. And we're like all shaking our head and he's like, all right, go get some rest. So we all rest, comes down to the last two K of the race. I'm running with this guy that's a, a junior or senior on the team and he is just dragging me and I'm just being so stubborn, not letting him let me go. Um, about 2K to go. I am hurting, man. It's my first 10K ever. And we come by Coach Brayman on the fence and he just, he looks at us and you can see it in his like teeth and his eyes, his, his like his tongue's damn near out. It's unreal. And he yells at us. He's like, I bought the fucking tickets. I bought them. I bought them. Go get it. And it's just, you know, that, that was unreal, man. Like that was on, I've never felt that level of juice before from anybody. And we ran it in home. I was all region as a freshman and, uh, we made it to nationals. Ah, I love that. Another cool story that you could share here is your trip to Ethiopia, uh, while you were at Florida state share, share with me this story and this kind of journey and the impact it's had on you to this day. I mean, learning from like people that are better than you is probably the probably the greatest foundation in learning training it you know you can go a lot of different ways with that just being around people that are better than you so 
Ahmed Muhammad, who is now, I think he was third at USA's very recently in cross. And he's a former Florida State athlete. He did undergrad at Boise, transferred to FSU. He he essentially like just asked me about coming on this trip and I was always really good friends with him. And oh my gosh, I was I was so excited to be able to go. Uh, we end up traveling to Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. We stayed a couple days in Salulta, um, where uh, this place that we were staying at was actually owned by Haile Geber Selassie, who is one of the um, greatest Ethiopian distance runners ever. And Mo Farah trains in Salulta a lot. Um, and just a lot of amazing athletes, man. It, it's, it was unreal. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know where you want me to go in terms of being specific, but there, there's just a lifetime worth of experiences in those two months that I spent there with like those six other NCA guys that were there with me. What was it like being in another culture, that experience as an American? What was the culture of Ethiopia like? I think Ethiopia and Kenny get talked a lot about in terms of the culture and how that makes runners good runners. What was your experience and perspective on that? For sure. I think, I think that their mentality, and I'm actually going to pull this from a Renato Canova lecture because I think this is just absolute gold when it comes to the difference in mentality between American athletes and African athletes. Imagine that you assign a 10 mile tempo to an American athlete versus an African athlete. The African is going to go at the workout with a mentality that, okay, I'm going to hold this pace for as long as I can. And once I can't do it anymore, the workout's done. The American is going to look at the assignment and think, I can't hold this pace for that long, so I'm going to slow down so that I can complete the entire session. So Renato Canova talks about what's what's called um, volume of intensity. And so if the goal is to eventually get to 10 miles, the African's going to keep on trying until they can get to 10 miles at that pace. But the American is um, not going for the quality that's being prescribed by the coach. So that's really just the the difference in the mentality, man, um, from a workout perspective. When we were talking about Mark earlier, you said he kind of opened your eyes to see what you could accomplish as an athlete. Can you elaborate on that more specifically in relation to your year at CU thus far? For sure. So whenever you join a new program, I think it's great because you get a response um, in training uh, that your body's like, you know, your body's not used to it. So you, you start making a lot of adaptations right off the bat. Now, most of the times I'm, I'm not like a guy that really reads into workouts, but we've done some sessions as of late that really just when I finished it and the fact that like we were just brushing our shoulders off and just like, okay, like good day. Whereas two years ago, a year ago, three years ago, if I did that, my eyes would have been popping out of my skull and I would have been like, wow, like that, that was unreal. I'm about to run really fast. Um, so just kind of like the Mike Smith mentality, you know, like not getting too excited about anything, but um, also just realizing like by measurables that I'm just in a much better place and that I've only been training under Mark Wetmore for, you know, like seven months, maybe eight months. Uh, so that's, it's really awesome to see and just continue tracking. How important do you think it is to, whether it's Strava or a journal or simply in your mind, go back to previous experiences in the sport, previous years in the sport, and see how far you've come within it? Uh, what are your thoughts on, on doing that, going through a reflective process to kind of give yourself the confidence you need in the moment to complete that workout? For sure. Uh, when it comes to keeping logs and like things like that, you know, I'm, I'm always a big fan of the handwritten. 
because you know you just remember it a lot better because you wrote it rather than like stroking on the keyboard like that kind of thing um so whenever i look back at these sessions and i'm like man this is this is what i was doing in ethiopia and like i thought that was really good you know uh especially because those guys were dragging me through everything i'll have to send you the clip of uh me running in saluta on the track with those guys but uh yeah i just right now um flipping the pages back and forth and seeing the progress is one of the most satisfying things you can do so to all young runners out there please just keep a written log man or or if it's strava you know what it doesn't matter man you can you, maybe it's even better the filters allow you to uh look back at all of those different uh, sessions that you've done over the years. As you look to toward your future, I'm going to present you with two options. Which would you rather have super successful personal running career or a super successful coaching career? Do you have one you're more passionate about? Obviously they conflict a little bit. They do conflict, man. And that is probably the hardest question I'll ever answer. Maybe I'm still answering that question for myself, <laughs> but uh, you know, right now, right now, I think I want to focus on being a successful coach for sure. It's, you know, running, running comes and goes, and I will probably be running until I'm in the casket and six feet down, you know, but <laughs> I think, uh, I think that like, you know, being a coach is a lot more rewarding because of the impact that you're leaving on like all these different athletes. I actually just had an athlete, um, inquire that we're bringing on and his goal is to run five miles in 35 minutes. And he just recently came off of, uh, you know, leukemia. So it, it's definitely like really really like a tough situation but like i'm thinking when i'm writing these like training training sessions for him like i can't let this guy down like this is like this is his like mission and i'm gonna i'm gonna play a big role and um and helping him accomplish that so super cool and rewarding you know, being a coach how important as a coach do you think it is to coach the person and not the athlete uh and understand that distinction that what you're doing what you're saying how you're treating the person affects them way more than the four years you have them, the one year you have them, whatever it might be, uh, that you could have a tangible impact on this person's life off the track, off the grass. Absolutely. I think teaching them values that help them within the sport, but simultaneously helping them uh, learn something as a result of that, like consistency, for example, or just toughness in general. Those are all learning factors that we have learned along the way in our journey of running. And in life, when things get tough, it's like, man, this isn't hard. You know, I've, I've ran 15 mile long runs at X pace, or I've done 10 mile long runs. Like I've done all these uh, really difficult 1% type of the population um, workouts. So I just think all runners have that like kind of takeaway that man, like uh, this is something that I've learned from the sport. And so really it's not, it's not me as a coach that, teaches that truthfully i think they they learn it kind of just being a part of it and i think that's the beautiful thing about it paul for those who want to find out more specifically about your coaching or you as a person where would you direct them today if you want to be coached by me uh, i would just say visit bluecollaret.com and uh, follow at bluecollaret on instagram that's bluecollar endurance training and i would love to work with anyone man so really appreciate it final question for you paul uh, final serious question. And then I have a final, final question for you. Final serious question for those who have listened to our conversation today, what would be the final takeaway message you want to leave with our audience today? I would say that the final takeaway is that you are unique in your own right. There is no magic cure for you getting better and that 
you really just need to pay attention to yourself and be really in tune with yourself and be consistent and all of these things that we've talked about over the course of this conversation because that's that's what's going to make you better uh don't listen to all those like instagram reels that are telling you you need to do this to increase your vo2 max or or you need to take this supplement to uh run your pr like just pay attention to you paul final question for you if you had gordon ramsay coming over to your house for dinner what would you choose to make for him good lord man that's that's unreal (laughs) i would i would just say um let's keep it simple let's let's go a cajun chicken pasta so chicken pasta with a little bit of spice and man I, that would be fantastic sounds good to me man sounds good to me paul appreciate the conversation man keep up the great work and super excited not only to see you progress within your own running but also uh see you progress within your coaching business and see you impact lives on and off the track so thank you for the conversation and looking forward to seeing you crush it in the years to come dom you're doing the same man this podcast is awesome thanks for having me on Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the podcast. I don't take your time for granted, so I hope that it brought you some wisdom and value that you can apply directly into your running and into your life. If you have not already done so, please consider giving us a follow and a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And then something all of you guys can do is share today's episode or the podcast in general with a friend or someone who you think will benefit from it. One more note, if you're not already following us on Instagram, consider doing so. My Instagram tag is at the running effect. I hope your running and life is going well. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy life to listen to today's episode. I will catch you in two days when the next episode drops. Until then, happy running.